Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think as parents, we assume that kids are going to just know the right way to do things. You have to teach them first and then train them by teaching them to do it over and over again until they actually get it. Imagine trying to teach your child how to tie his shoes without the practice principle. If the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christ-like character? I speak to parents all the time who come up to me and they see what's happening, but they don't know what to do. And I just want to stand up and say, you can do this. Here is a solution. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 10, See the World. Today's proverb was suggested to me by my friend and listener, Nathaniel Mosley. I recently asked a number of friends to suggest proverbs for future episodes. And Nathaniel suggested a proverb widely attributed to St. Ambrose. And I'll read it twice. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Rome... Do as the Romans do. Now, perhaps you didn't know that this quote came from St. Ambrose. And if you didn't know where this quote came from, you might have always regarded it as a bit relativistic. Despite widespread usage of this proverb, despite the fact 
that everybody knows it, everybody's heard it, and everybody's probably referenced it, even if only using the front half of the proverb, when in Rome. It seems to me that both Christians and secularists are a bit skeptical of this claim. They're skeptical of the claim for different reasons. For the Christian, this seems a problematic claim because the Romans are not foolproof. They're not infallible. Should our actions not be guided by the church? Should our actions not be guided by reason? Should they not be guided by scripture? Why must we do as the Romans do when in Rome? This seems to suggest a relative morality, as though what is right and wrong depends on where you go. It seems to suggest that there is no purely transcendent standard that all people are beholden to. That, I would say, is the Christian objection to this. Uh, The secularist's objection is far less principled. The secularist says, when in Rome, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Not going to do what the Romans do. I may or may not have gone to Rome to do Roman things. If I decide to go to Rome to do Greek things, I'm going to do Greek things. I'm not going to let society determine what I do. Both the Christian and the secularist object to this quote because it seems to vindicate society. And the Christian wants to vindicate God, and the secularist wants to vindicate himself. But both Christians, modern Christians, and modern secularists are both very skeptical of society. Well, I am not a relativist, and I'm not a subjectivist. But I do like society. And generally speaking, I trust society. I'll come back to that later. To begin exploring this proverb, we have to recognize that the quote-unquote Romans referenced are being generalized. Ambrose did not believe each Roman was different He believed that there was a fundamentally Roman identity and that Romans could, generally speaking, be counted on to behave in certain ways. So we could paraphrase the quote, when in Rome, do as the average Romans do. There are, of course, outliers, there are freaks, there are remainders of society that do not behave as those in the middle do. But the quote assumes that there is such a thing as an average Roman, a common Roman. So we could restate the quote, when in Rome do as the average Romans do. Now, if we consider this for just a second... I'm going to realize that there's nothing special about Rome such that the quote cannot be endlessly rephrased for other cities. So if we should do as the Romans do when in Rome, we should do as the Athenians do when in Athens. 
should do as the Yankees do when in New York. And when in your hometown, do as average people from your hometown do. Now, the modern man is not entirely sure that there even is an average, or at least he makes this claim. But a great many modern men are going to object to the idea that you should do as the average Roman does. Because the word average has become synonymous with boring. Modern men believe that average is boring. And I think they believe average is boring because they think average is narrow. That for a thing to be average is for it to be narrowly predetermined to a very small range of possibilities, maybe even no possibilities. Now, I think this is a mistake in thinking, but I understand why the word average might have come to suggest this to the modern man. I'm going to give you a three-word phrase and consider what the first thing that comes to mind is when you hear this. What comes to mind when you think of an average meal? Now, if you're anything like me, when you think of an average meal... You think of something like an icon of a dinner plate with a chicken leg and a mashed potato scoop and some peas on it. That when you think of an average meal, you think of an iconic meal. You think of a clip art image of food as it might be represented in a PowerPoint presentation about something other than food. So if you're listening to somebody give a lecture on finances and it's accompanied by a PowerPoint, that when that fellow giving the lecture wants to refer to food, he shows you this kind of cartoonish looking dinner plate, circular, white, little chicken leg, off color brown or off brown, white potatoes, green peas. And this is meant to represent an average meal. So when you think of average, you might think of boring. I don't know how terribly exciting chicken leg, mashed potatoes, and peas are. I'd take it, but I don't know how exciting it is. But let me submit that while a chicken leg, mashed potatoes, and peas is an average meal, the concept of average when it's applied to food, and a great many other things as well, is an astoundingly wide category of things. Roasted chicken and potatoes is an average meal. But in America, spaghetti is an average meal. Lasagna is an average meal. Tacos are an average meal. Pot roast, pork tenderloin, turkey, eggs and bacon, ham sandwich, onion soup. I mean, these are all average meals. If somebody served you French onion soup at dinner... I'd say, yeah, it's an average meal. If somebody served you a ham sandwich for lunch, you could say it was an average meal. But the same is true if you were given a slice of lasagna, plate of spaghetti, chicken Caesar salad. I mean, these are all average. Average goes on and on. Average is a dazzlingly multitudinous 
description of things. Same is true of clothing as well. An average dress for a woman. I'd go to the mall, walk through Nordstrom, walk through Saks, walk through Kohl's, walk through JCPenney. You're going to see 10,000 ways for a woman to dress for church. You're going to see many dresses, many pantsuits, many blouses, and they're all average. All different colors, all different cuts, some baggy, some slim, some tight, some loose. They're all average. You could walk around church for a year, and every woman you pass could be dressed differently. And nonetheless, you would conclude, or you might conclude, it would be possible to conclude that they all looked average. 20 women dressed 20 different ways could all look average. They could all be within the range of predictable options, and yet not be dull and not be narrow. So I don't accept this idea that average is boring. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Nonetheless offers many, many different possibilities. It does not limit us to one or two things. And this, I think, is probably a relatively minor concern. That when in Rome, do as the Romans do is boring. I think the more significant Christian objection is that it's relativistic. And the average modern Christian wants to say, when in Rome, do as the Bible tells you to do, not as the Romans do. When in Rome, do as Christ does. But I think that's a misguided response to this. Average is humble. Average does not attract attention to itself. And so what Ambrose is saying is when in Rome, don't make a spectacle of yourself. Don't demand other people pay attention to you. Don't dress in an outlandish way. Be humble enough to adopt the house rules of the Romans. And of course, there's a limit to what Ambrose would suggest a Christian should do when he says, do as the Romans do. I think the doing he's referring to means how you dress, your manners, your etiquette, protocol at table, acceptable versus unacceptable topics of conversation, Physical familiarity with other people, shaking hands, kissing on the cheek, signs of tokens of respect, um, how you groom yourself. When you wake in the morning, when you go to sleep, standards of modesty even. I believe that all these things fall within the range of what Ambrose means when he says do as the Romans do. And if we want to make an absurd reduction of the quote and insist that it's not universally true for all things fine 
if you show up in Rome and and adultery is allowable, obviously it's not allowable for the Christian. But so far as society is concerned, do as Roman society does. And when we refer to dress and manners and etiquette and so forth, we're referring to society. Society is just living people carrying on with one another. When in Rome, don't make a spectacle of yourself in Roman society. Now, the only way that Ambrose can say this in good conscience is if Roman society is good. Or if Athenian society is good. Or if New York society is good. Society must be good in order for this claim to be true. We would have to look at society as something other than oppressive, demanding, hypocritical, and easily dismissed. Now, I want to... I need to take a brief diversion here. And I need to speak of something that I imagine most long-term teachers have experienced at some point in their lives. And I am about to try to crowdsource a little information. I suppose that every teacher who's been teaching for more than 10 years, maybe just everybody who's been reading books like a responsible adult for more than 10 years, has consistently, habitually appealed to an idea from a book every time a certain topic of conversation comes up. For many years, you've appealed to this idea, and yet you have not encountered the idea in the book that you're referencing in a long time. And then one day you decide to go back and find this thing that you've been referencing for many years, and you can't find it. Well, that's what I'm about to do. I believe the book that I'm about to reference and that I've been referencing for years comes from a a title, Theological Aesthetics, A Reader. The book is very expensive. I encounter it occasionally on friends' bookshelves or in better bookstores, but I don't own a copy of this book. I borrowed it from a friend a decade ago. And it's a sort of survey of Christian beliefs about beauty across the centuries. So it goes all the way back to the second century. It's all the way up to the 21st century. And it's little excerpts from letters and poems and longer theological treatises. Anyway, I am quite sure that I read what I'm about to describe to you in this book. Although in going back and looking for it, I have not been able to find it. So perhaps it came from another book. An oddity. There is, in the book I'm thinking of, and I believe it's theological aesthetics, a late antique bishop, perhaps Clement of Alexandria, responding to an inquiry from a senator's wife. And the senator's wife has lately converted to Christianity. And she says... Many of the pious women in my town dress 
like aesthetics. Should I also dress as an ascetic? And this woman had obviously grown up in the upper crust of society. But her question was honest. Now that I've converted to Christianity, do I need to begin dressing as these humble women who I see around the city performing works of charity and mercy? Must I dress in a nunnish fashion? And the bishop responds by saying no. You should not dress that way. He says, if you dress that way, you would call attention to yourself. And you would deprive people of an image, a fitting image, of a senator's wife. It's good that there are senators. And it's good that they have wives. And it's good that their role in society is different than the role of nuns and ascetics. Society needs people to perform their roles and to not despise their roles and to not descend lower than their roles demand, but also not to become ambitious and arrogant and reach higher than their roles require. Society needs people to fulfill their roles. So society, your lot in life, your lot in society is to be a senator's wife. It is what God has asked of you. So dress like a senator's wife. Ambrose or Clement or the bishop in question assumes that society is good, that society is a blessing and a gift and that as opposed to treading us down and oppressing us, society frees us from having to care and think through every little thing. Society allows us to care about important matters. Society has determined an awful lot for you. I'm a teacher. I should dress like a teacher. Students should dress like students. Priests should dress like priests. Lawyers should dress like lawyers. Cops should dress like cops. Boys should dress like boys. And if we allow society to buoy us and to carry us along, then we don't have to think about trivial things like when to go to bed, how to set the table. You can worry about weighty things instead. You can think about God. You can take stock of your own soul. You can quit worrying about petty things and simply allow society to determine those things for you. You don't have time to think through everything. You're going to have to take society as it is. If you want to get on to the important matters of a three-person God, the incarnate Christ, the self-abnegation of the saints. You've got to allow society to take care of you, to take care of your mind. You've got to not question everything. 
You are limited. You are merely human. You cannot see the future. You can barely remember the past. You don't have the intellectual power to question everything. You do not have time enough to assess data for everything and draw reasonable conclusions based on long-term studies. You've got to take society as it is for the most part. You've got to not call attention to yourself. You've got to not make a spectacle of yourself. You've got to admit that for many things, if not most things, society knows best. That society is a kind of threshing floor or society emerges out of a threshing floor wherein the chaff-like habits of men are purged away and what is acceptable for you is slowly determined generation after generation. And you can't fight that. So when in Rome you do as the Romans do, because Roman society is a gift to the Romans, and if you want to be a good guest, you've got to not make a spectacle of yourself. This is also true when you go to other people's homes, when you go to other people's churches. But I'll finish by saying this. The quote, the proverb is also a caution. If you must do as the Romans do when in Rome, you need to be careful where you go. The quote is a caution against aimlessly traveling the world with no idea of where you're going. Because when you get somewhere, people will expect you to fall in line. And some societies are scandalous. You've got to be careful where you go because it's reasonable for people to expect you to behave according to the house rules. Be careful the house you go to. So you've got to know what's going to be expected of you before you go somewhere. You cannot mindlessly travel the world. Wanderlust is dangerous. And if you do not want to be a man whose person is split, if you want to be a unified person, you've got to stay put for the most part. Because it is dangerous to live according to 20 different standards in 20 different cities if that's the way that your time is divided up. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. But generally speaking, stay where you are. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.